Grab some bacon on a biscuit and let's go. We're burning daylight. Welcome to the Frontier Freedom Hour with Jeff Hunt. Sponsored by Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University. Now, here's Jeff Hunt. Friends, in light of this historic decision coming down from the Colorado Supreme Court that is keeping Donald Trump off the ballot, we have a very important Frontier Freedom Radio episode. I'm going to include audio, a discussion taking place between two brilliant legal minds here in the state, George Brockler and Chris Murray. Chris, even a party to this case. And I'm going to continue the conversation with Chris Murray. So you're not going to want to miss this. All your questions are going to be answered. So be sure to listen. Here we go. Talking about this earthquake causing decision rendered from the Colorado Supreme Court yesterday afternoon around four ish something. Uh, We have had previously on air to discuss this process as well as the amicus that he helped pen along with his uh, partner. Uh, his name is Chris Murray. He's a super lawyer. Uh, I He and I spoke briefly last night. He agreed to come on the air. He wants to begin with some very special words. Uh, Chris, thanks for joining us. <laughs> well, I'll begin with uh, good morning, George. And then good I'll morning. say, you know, uh, a lot of folks, and, you know, I've been, I've been practicing law for a while and I have clients and other friends tell me, like, you know, you lawyers never like to admit when you're wrong. Well, I was wrong, dead wrong on what the Colorado Supreme Court was going to do here. Um, I didn't hear you. Could you say it again? I just want to make sure that for those listening on the podcast, they've heard it. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Chris, I, I get it. I was wrong, too, because I agreed with you. I'm not as smart as you are, so it hurts more when you're wrong. But um, I in no way did I think that they were going to roll a grenade under the U.S. Supreme Court's tent. But if you're if you're John Roberts right now and you have been struggling low these past many, many terms to keep the Supreme Court from becoming even more politicized, you have got to just use the F word when you heard about this opinion. Yeah, no, I mean, last night, I don't think I would have wanted to be um, a small dog um, or uh, three fingers of liquor anywhere within each of John Roberts. Frankly, he probably forced the three fingers of liquor into his dog before he kicked it, just as a frustration. Do us a favor. I wouldn't be surprised. We've had people reacting to this, but I really want to get your take on it. It's a 200-plus page opinion. About 130-ish pages of it is the majority opinion, and then there are three dissents from um, Boatwright, Samore, and Birkenkotter. Talk through, if you would, how did the majority get there from here? So the two words that I think a lot of us are going to be hearing um, plenty of is self-executing. That's how the majority got there. Um, I think I've been on your show a couple times, maybe even three times talking about this. And, you know, I mentioned that the first places that the swords are going to cross is Well, in Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, right, that's the one that says, hey, you're barred from office, um, uh, at least some offices, if you have been found to have engaged in insurrection or rebellion. Um, Well, is that self-executing? And, uh, you know, what I said on your show, and the Trump folks argued and lots of amicus parties argued, is that it's not self-executing. And 
because Section 5 of the 14th Amendment says Congress shall have the power to pass laws to enforce this. And in fact, Congress has done that in the past um, and has repealed all those laws uh, and has failed to pass new ones. So the argument was, well, it's not self-executing. There's no the amendments here, but you have to have a law to show how it can be enforced. The Colorado Supreme Court held, and by the way, I think this is one of the more confusing parts of the four justices' decision, to be perfectly candid. They said it's self-executing, which means basically they said that to mean that Congress doesn't have to pass any law to enforce Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. But at the same time, in the substance of their opinion, they basically say, um, yeah, and the Colorado Election Code um, has a method by which um, you can enforce a disqualification under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. And so uh, we don't need any other legal support to do that. But the way they got there was they found that Section 3 is self-executing and uh, that the Congress did not have to pass a law to authorize the state Supreme Court to do this. How, do they do they deal with it all, Chris, the idea that insurrection is not just some made-up word or something that we have to refer to the dictionary for? There's actually a federal statute on insurrection, and unlike yeah. all of the other qualifications that might be prerequisites to showing up on the ballot for president, uh, this one is much more complicated than are you 35 or are you a huh. resident well, or yeah, any they, of those things. Yes, they do, but 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 really, they. I mean, remember last time I was on your show, right? I mean, we we talked about uh, the trial judge, Judge Wallace, right, and uh, her hundred-page-plus opinion, where she said, "Look, I'm finding that President Trump engaged in insurrection, pursuant to the Fourteenth Amendment, um, or you know, as as contemplated by the Fourteenth Amendment, but I'm finding that the office of the presidency is not included." in those offices laid out in Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. And so, you know, essentially it doesn't matter, right? But remember, you asked me, well, geez, could it matter that you made that factual finding when it goes up to the Supreme Court? And um, I said, yeah, it could if the Supreme Court wants to go the way of disqualifying President Trump. Well, here we are. Um, The Supreme Court affirmed and adopted her factual findings um, and said, basically, that abbreviated procedure under our election code uh, was sufficient to allow the court to find facts that President Trump engaged in an insurrection um, as defined by federal statutes. Um, It's fascinating to me because, you know, Justice Samore and his dissent, and you can talk about it in more detail, took a different approach to this. And frankly, having read through the dissents, I maybe I'm biased on this issue and not because I'm a Trump guy. Right. But I don't see how the U.S. Supreme Court can get past the logic of Boatwright and Samore's arguments in in their dissents. I mean, talk through what Samore was was referencing when he said, hey, I think the majority here has made a mistake. Right. Well, and then unless and just a reminder for your listeners, I know, you know, this, George, right. Um, Carlos, Carlos Samore. Um, yes. Are you getting called away? Is there an emergency? Fire at the Murray House? Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 Sorry. There was a, something something on the on on the background here. Um, I had to fix the sound. Just one second. Yeah, that's okay. I just listen. If you're being held hostage, just give a quick description of who it is. 
And are they wearing a are they wearing a Biden twenty four shirt? So, yeah, so so I can you know I, I would say just remember the thing about Justice Demore and actually uh, Justice Birkenkopper for that matter, right? They're both trial judges. Um, Justice Demore in particular, um, remember this is the guy who um, you, I know you know this well presided over the James Holmes uh, uh, theater shooting trial. I saw him at that um, trial. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, so I mean. You know, they're they're both absolute all-star trial judges from Colorado's trial bench. And, I, you know, I thought Justice Samore, uh had probably the most powerful dissent. And his dissent basically got to the, the point that, that you hinted at in your last question, right, which is, well, federal statutes define insurrection, right? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a criminal offense. Um, typically, <laughs> you need to have a criminal trial before somebody can be convicted of something like that and somebody can be found to have engaged in something of that nature. And the standard there would be beyond a reasonable doubt. Well, um, that didn't happen here, right? What we had was a very short, abbreviated procedure pursuant to an emergency provision of the election code. And nobody had the chance to engage in any kind of discovery. Uh, There was a limited opportunity to subpoena witnesses. Uh, and it was basically a summary proceeding. And does that amount to procedural due process? And if you're going to say, well, somebody has engaged in insurrection such that they can be barred from office, um, aren't they entitled to procedural due process? And we don't think we got it here. And I, you know, I, I got to say, I mean, I think that Justice Samore's dissent is the most powerful for the reason that he hangs it right there. And he says, uh, this whole procedure, in fact, I think he says something to the effect of, I've, I've been involved in the justice system, right, for yes. going on 33 years, and this doesn't look like justice to me. No, it doesn't. And, and there are, you and I talked about this last night, there are four, only four of the seven are actual trial judges who had previously sat where Samor did. And the only one that voted with the majority was Justice Hood who had been uh, a chief deputy prosecutor down in the 18th Judicial District a long time ago, long before me. In fact, he was my boss for like two weeks before I got called to active duty. Um, But the other three, for whatever reason, because they all don't agree on exactly what's flawed about the majority opinion, but uh, they all take issue with some of the logic. The the other stuff that like uh, Justice Boatwright, Chief Justice Boatwright put down, I also found that compelling. Talk about his take. It's a little bit different than S'mores. Sure. I mean, so um, Chief, uh, you know, Chief, Chief Justice, Chief Justice Boatwright um, comes at this from I mean, and, and by the way, you know, something I, I would say that um, uh, I would say all of the justices here, just uh, or, or all three of the dissenting justices, like it's clear they took this really, really seriously. Oh, yeah, and, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I want, you know, I said when I was the last couple times I was on your show, right, um, was that this is sort of a consensus court. You know, this court does not um, this court does not want to have a lot of controversy here and i'd be really surprised if you had a dramatically split court doing something like this well so i'm sitting here surprised okay well but but, but your Um, point is 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 a good one beyond the courtroom and for the politics of this a unanimous decision one way or the other even if it wouldn't appease the, the different partisan factions would at least be some measure of 
this is such a clear issue. Like the majority talks about, of course, the presidency is part of the offices. It's so crystal clear. Of course, they, they make it sound so sweeping and obvious. And yet three of their colleagues, including the chief justice, are like, I disagree. That's a different kind right. of message, too. Well, right. I mean, but, but, you know, getting back to Justice Boatwright's dissent, which is much shorter, if, if somebody wants to read only one of the opinions, well, I guess Justice Boatwright is the easiest because I think it was only about 10 pages, right? But Justice Boatwright says, says something very similar, okay, um, to what Justice Samor says, right? Um, and, but, but he says it pointing to the sort of the speed that is required under the catch-all election code provision that this matter was brought under, uh, which is uh, Colorado Revised Statute 11113. Basically, that section requires courts to move everything along as fast as possible and, in fact, requires decisions, right, you know, be filed expeditiously. And there are, uh, there are some, uh, some Colorado Supreme Court cases, in fact, one that, um, uh, you know, uh, one that, uh, uh, our former Secretary of State, Scott Gessler, was directly involved in as a lawyer um, that basically say, hey, look, like major federal constitutional questions, substantive constitutional rights in general, right? The expedited timeline under this statute yeah. made this statute a bad vehicle for deciding those questions, right? And just as Boatwright says I that, think, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and so, and, and I think that's another way of making Justice Samore's point, right? Justice Samore says, hey, wait a second, insurrection is a criminal offense, right? There's a whole different standard of proof, and there's a whole different set of procedural guarantees that are supposed to protect criminal uh, defendants before they suffer the consequences of criminal conduct, like, for example, losing the right to run for office or being disenfranchised, right? Well, Justice Boatwright says, yeah, maybe all that's true, but here's something more basic, right? The election code, which requires really, really fast decisions. Why? Because typically election cases are brought right before a big expensive thing called an election, right? And that means that you have to decide them really fast. Well, the very fact that you have to decide them very fast means you shouldn't be deciding huge first impression constitutional issues under that code. And this is a question that couldn't be decided under that code. We're talking with super lawyer Chris Murray, uh, subsequent to his repeated mea culpa on the radio earlier today, as he had <laughs> misguessed, as had I, how the Supreme Court would turn out. You, you, uh, you and your partner, Julian Ellis, had penned the uh, amicus on behalf of, was it the RNC? Yeah, well, actually it was on behalf of the RNC the NRSC and the NRCC, so all three of the national Republican uh, committees. As, as we begin to talk about what's next in terms of the procedure and likely outcome for the U.S. Supreme Court, um, are you going to be drafting something on their behalf for that uh, argument as well? Well, yeah, I mean, we, we, we will probably assist. Um, we're working, you know, if the, anybody takes a look at our brief there, we work with some good friends of ours at a law firm back in Washington, D.C. called Constable McCarthy and a fellow named Patrick Strawbridge, uh, who is a lawyer who uh, also worked on this brief. And I would be willing to bet, because it's back at the Supreme Court, um, that uh, we will play an assisting role, uh, but that Patrick and his team will probably lead the drafting effort there. 
We know that as things stand right now, at least up to January the 4th, that the Supreme Court's opinion is stayed so that Trump would appear on the ballot. But I think that presupposes that something gets filed with the Supreme Court before January the 4th that triggers their review. And and am I wrong in in presuming that that's a petition for writ of certiorari? There's no absolute right to get to the U.S. Supreme Court? Well, I mean, so I I don't think you're wrong, um, but I'll just say that there's other ways to try to get to the Supreme Court. And given the abbreviated timeline and the holidays in between, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Instead, what, what what was filed by the Trump team was some kind of an emergency petition to the Got Supreme it. Court, um, which which the court could choose to treat as a petition for writ of certiorari. Um, but you know the, the 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 January four day, you know, and the, the sort of help yourself to an automatic stay and injunction part of this opinion um, is also something that I. I've, I've just never seen uh, anything like this. And then with the, what the Supreme Court, the Colorado Supreme Court says is, hey, he's off the ballot. Unless he asks the Supreme Court of the United States for help before January 4th, then if he does, he's on the ballot until and unless the Supreme Court of the United States says it won't help. That is interesting as well. Um, what does the timeline look like then? You think the Trump team gets their stuff to the Supreme Court before January the 4th? I think that happens. But yeah, then sure. how did, well, if you I mean, had to look at a place on the calendar and say they will resolve this thing? Because my guess is that calendar is already pretty thick with arguments and opinion writing and all this other stuff as they're into the middle of their session. Well, I mean, you know, I think and, and I had a sort of a knee-jerk reaction when I heard about this last night, that, oh, boy, they're going to have to decide this pretty quickly. Um, they may not, given given the way the Colorado Supreme Court's order reads, right? Um, they may say, hey, look, he's got his petition up here. Um, you know, maybe we'll take, if we take the case, um, uh, he's going to remain on the Colorado primary ballot, right? So, that initial source of you know potential chaos is eliminated, and then we can decide this in due course, you know, before the end of the term in June. Um, I will say an incentive, and then this is you know, shoot him, and I was wrong about what the Colorado Supreme Court would do here. So goodness knows if I could try and predict what the U.S. Supreme Court will do. But I, there are several other cases of this nature making their way through the court systems of other states. Right. Um, there's a case similar to this, I think, up at the main Supreme Court right now. So a reason for the U.S. Supreme Court to decide this sooner rather than later. Right. Is to give some certainty. Right. right. So there's not so there's not more, um, you know, so there's not more decisions like this coming or, you know, alternatively. So more of these decisions can be handed down, right? If it turns out the Supreme Court says it's okay for a state court to do this. Um, But I think as long as other courts who go the way of Colorado put sort of a help yourself, you know, the same sort of a stay in place on their decision that the Colorado Supreme Court did, the U.S. Supreme Court, I don't think, needs to decide this before the summer. Um, you know, as long as as long as Trump is not actually deprived of a ballot spot somewhere, I think if a state Supreme Court says, hey, we agree with Colorado. And by the way, he's off the ballot unless the U.S. Supreme Court does something. 
then I think that could force the U.S. Supreme Court to act more quickly. How can you, I mean, more quickly, like, dang, man, like, we're in it, right? Like, I mean, ballots are going to be going out here any moment. Um, this has got to be decided before we end up doing a presidential primary. I mean, this feels like in a month from now, I don't know if we're in argument, but a month from now, aren't we in the thick of this process? I mean, I just don't see how we get out of February without the Supreme Court having made a decision here. I mean, so that was my sort of gut-level reaction last night, and that may still be what happens, but I will just say the state, you know, the, the language in the Colorado Supreme Court orders Secretary of State Jenna Griswold to put President Trump on the presidential primary ballot and to leave him there until the U.S. Supreme Court decides something, provided that they take the case, right? So if the U.S. Supreme Court takes Is the case— Is that those are the words like, of their order? Yeah, I can read it to you. Hold on a second. I thought it there. was just to stay till the 4th. Okay, this is good. This is No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Um, so here it says uh, that this is at the very end of the majority opinion. Okay? But we stay our ruling until January 4th, 2024. And there's a parenthetical I'm leaving out. If review is sought in the Supreme Court before the stay expires, it shall remain in place. And the secretary will continue to be required to include President Trump's name on the 2024 presidential primary ballot until the receipt of any order or mandate from the Supreme Court. So that means you ask the Supreme Court for help unless the Supreme Court affirmatively says, sorry, no, we're not taking it or sorry, you lose. Then President Trump's name will remain on the Colorado presidential primary ballot. Here's a question. What if uh, Governor Polis wanted to um, try to weigh in here and look a little bit like a hero as he's considering his 2028 presidential aspirations? And that is, he says, well, we should move the presidential primary in Colorado due to this very unique, anomalistic sort of event. Does he have that authority, Chris? I did not tell you I was going to ask you this. Well, I've got to tell you, that's a great question, right? Because the presidential primary statute says that Governor Polis can set the date of the presidential primary. He has to choose between um, a few different Tuesdays uh, in the March time frame, right? Um, but I don't think he can change the date now because he has to – I think if I recall correctly, the statutory time frame is he has to set it. Um, significantly in advance of the presidential primary. So I don't think he can change the date now. That's so interesting. Uh, He may try that. You know what I mean? I could see him with by executive order or something, maybe the legislature. I I don't know. It's very interesting. I'm not sure what else he could do. I just imagine that this is going to be a bit of an issue here if this thing takes much longer than we think it's going to take. Predictions, Chris, from the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm with you, George. I mean, look, look I, I I think there's a there is a narrow way for the Supreme Court to uh, decide this, and there is a broad way for the Supreme Court. So, so my my my, my first basic prediction is uh, I have to my, my prediction would be that the Colorado Supreme Court will be reversed, um, and that uh, President Trump will remain uh, on Colorado's primary ballot, and I still tend to think that the U.S. Supreme Court will either say, hey, look, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment isn't self-executing, and 
because no law has been provided under it. Um, there's not enough process in place to decide the question, sort of along the line of um, uh, Justice Samore and, to a lesser extent, uh, Chief Justice Boatwright's dissents. Um, the Supreme Court might also decide to say, hey, you know what, we're going to decide the broader question, which is, is the President of the United States even included uh, in Section 3 of the 14th Amendment? Um, you know, I, I think reasonable minds can disagree on that. I would still say that uh, I would be surprised if the U.S. Supreme Court concluded that the President of the United States uh, is included under Section Three of the Fourteenth Amendment. Uh, uh, Section Three of the Fourteenth Amendment. I mean, this is the kind of thing I think could go more than six-three. Like, I don't see this being a conservative. I, I could see Kagan, maybe Jackson. I don't know. Even though they don't want him to be president, they don't want him on the ballot. I could see Kagan going that way. She's wicked smart on this stuff, and, and even though I think mm-hmm. she's probably the uh, the left's answer to Scalia, at least with who's available on the bench. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, you know these justices well, and their opinions better than I do, but I could see this going seven two. Hell, maybe eight one nine. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, it it, it certainly it certainly could, right? Um, especially if you've got you know some special concurring opinions from the more uh, from the more uh, liberal justices. I mean, I'll say, look, Elena Kagan is a very 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 smart Supreme Court justice. She's a talented lawyer. Uh, she's a brilliant law professor. Um, she will know, like a lot of folks do, that there were earlier drafts of the 14th Amendment that included the president of the United States explicitly in Section 3, and they were rejected by Congress uh, or, or just not included in, in the final version of what Congress adopted after the Civil War. And I think, you know, to your point, Justice Kagan is probably intellectually honest enough, right, yep. to at least be tr- – like, she'll at least have to pause there, right, and say, if I'm going to say the president is covered by this, I have to engage with that history. And that makes for a tough opinion to write. Chris Murray, super lawyer on this. Uh, I'll probably be begging you to come back on as this thing proceeds, um, as we get closer to whatever decision the Supreme Court's going to make. Um, and then the procedure that will be used, the opinions that get argued, all that other stuff. Fascinating. I've never seen anything like this. I presume you haven't either. No, I mean, this look, I mean, it's a, I find myself saying this a lot, but what a time to be alive, George. Really nuts. Hey, Chris Murray, get back to the home intruder or whatever it is that you have there. And, uh, <laughs> I will. <laughs> and, uh, and, and m- m- Merry Christmas to you and the Broccoli Clan and to your yeah. listeners. M- Merry Christmas and Happy New Year's. That's Chris Murray. Chris, thanks so much for being on the program. So let's continue the conversation here. Someone's a Trump voter in the state of Colorado, what does that mean for them? Well, I mean, if, it obviously d- depends what happens, right, Jeff? But I mean, if, if Trump is actually kept off the ballot in Colorado, it means that they will not have the opportunity um, to vote for their preferred candidate for the Republican nomination for president. I mean, isn't that a, a civil rights issue, a voter disenfranchisement issue? I mean, it certainly could be looked at that way. I mean, I, you know, I think, um, you know, nobody, broadly speaking, nobody has a, you know, a right to vote for, let's say, Jeff Hunt for president, right? You know, um, however, once somebody is qualified for the ballot, once somebody is otherwise duly qualified for the ballot, then you really do, your right to vote is to choose among all of those candidates. And I get that, 
you know, the challenge here was a challenge to President Trump's quote unquote qualifications, right? But if that's wrong, you know, if this decision was incorrect, what it has done is it robs voters of the opportunity to vote for their chosen candidate. And I think that absolutely could be seen as an infringement on the right to vote, a civil rights problem. What should grassroots conservatives be doing right now in light of this decision? I mean, so I think the first thing is they should. So, you know, if, if let, let's talk about grassroots conservatives first who are supporters of President Trump want to be able to vote for him. OK, um, what they should do is take a little heart from what I think is likely to happen here, which is the Trump team is going to get a petition into the Supreme Court before January 4th. And unless the Supreme Court of the United States says, no, thank you, we won't help, which I think is highly unlikely, they're going to have the opportunity to vote for President Trump in the presidential primary in March. But I think beyond that, what they ought to be doing is contacting uh, their members of Congress, right? Contacting folks in Congress and also in other states, contacting their state legislators, and they ought to be contacting elections officials, right? Asking, hey, how do we make sure, right, that our candidate remains on the ballot? Um, beyond that, though, you know, I mean, it, uh, this isn't even just an issue, I think, for Trump voters, Trump grassroots conservatives. OK, um, this is Pandora's box getting opened here, Jeff. Right. Um, if it can happen to one candidate for president, one candidate for an office, it can happen somewhere else. And if you think this playbook won't be used against other disfavored candidates for office, uh, if it works, well, then I've got some beachfront property in Arizona to sell to you. <laughs> and that's disheartening. I think that's the gut punch that a lot of us looking at this situation felt last night was this historically hasn't been used in this country before well, uh, to, to go after opponents, uh, valid opponents. I understand the Civil War history. I understand all that. But this seems to be a, a new direction for a republic to uh, or at least I guess I would say another level of the use of lawfare in our country. Yeah. And that's uh, so. So I'll use the right term, lawfare. Right. Um, look, I I've got to tell you, I think that this is an act. I mean, and, and, you know, you know, I'm an attorney. Right. Um, I, I litigate constitutional cases, including a lot of election law. Um I think this is an act of exceptional hubris by those four justices on the Colorado Supreme Court, a bare majority to do this. Um, I think it is irresponsible. And um, I think happily, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court will correct them. But, the, the you know, to, to your point about the gut punch, you can't the, the, you can't keep putting institutions like the judiciary, under this kind of stress and expect them to continue to keep holding up. You can't keep putting our election system under this kind of stress and expect it to retain its legitimacy. And that, um, I, I wish, I, I mean, and maybe they did, but I wish they would have considered longer and harder, these four justices, the implications of what they've done before they issued this decision.
What do you think are the implications for the other cases? You mentioned this briefly in your interview with George Brockler. Uh, there's other states out there wrestling with these issues as well. Um, how does the decision in Colorado affect those? Well, I mean, it it doesn't affect them directly, of course, right? Because Colorado's decision can only be legally persuasive in other states, right? It doesn't have any binding effect on other states' Supreme Courts. But what I worry about is, and you see it in the mainstream media coverage of this overnight, right? I mean, uh, you know, uh, I read CNN's coverage of this. I know, forgive me, right? But I mean, I, I read CNN's coverage of this um, and it's myopic. I mean, it's utterly myopic. Um, it, it, you know, it basically talks about, you know, well, these, you know, geez, this is a historical ruling. And the implication is these four justices got on the right side of history, right? And what I worry about is, is that maybe there's a race now from some other justices who, in their heart would love to go this way, right? In their heart, um, they've been convinced by some of the breathless media reporting about the nature of a person that Donald Trump is. And boy, he's just so dangerous to the country and we'll never have another election again if he gets elected. I mean, this is in the mainstream media now. Well, if you actually believe that, right, and you're a justice of a state Supreme Court and somebody else has gone before you, shouldn't you act to keep this person off the ballot too? Uh, that's the impact I'm worried about it happening. I'm worried about it having a snowball effect. Colorado's had a unique position with its cases in the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, I'm thinking Jack Phillips, Lori Smith, <laughs> yeah. those types of cases. Uh, they lose here, and then they go to the U.S. Supreme Court and find victory, and in Jack's case, a kind of muted victory. But what what... Colorado just kind of finds itself in this kind of unique position of sending these cases to the U.S. Supreme Court. What's going on here? Yeah, you know, I, 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 that's, I, I think that's, uh, well, I mean, I think that's true for what you've just said is true, first thing. But what's going on? I mean, look, I think what's going on between Colorado and the U.S. Supreme Court is sort of a microcosm of what's going on between uh, you know, two sides of our cultural and political divide in the country, right? Um, we share, even if we do share share a bunch of priors that we don't acknowledge, right? Um, we we don't act that way, and so I think there's there's a presumption, right? There's all sorts of presumptions from left leaning states and left leaning state courts. Colorado is now a left leaning state. Right. That don't find support in the federal constitution and certainly don't find support from our Supreme Court. And so uh, you find yourself getting reversed more and more often. Um, you know, this this I'll say was a surprise to me because while Colorado's Supreme Court hasn't been great and Colorado's courts of appeals haven't been great on some cultural issues, particularly under our civil rights statute, the statute that was used to ensnare Jack Phillips, um, the court has historically been pretty conservative um, in elections matters. And so that's why this was sort of such a thunderclap for people who practice in that area in the state uh, that the Supreme Court would be willing to do this. I know that you've worked a lot on election law. Uh, we worked together on the Romney campaign. Uh, campaigns trying to keep an opponent off a ballot is not something new. Uh, <laughs> 
It's kind no, of no, but unfortunately, it's become more and more of a tactic. You're right, Jim. You're right. Right. It's kind of standard operating procedure out there at a presidential level. I guess this just felt different because it seems to be institutionalized as opposed to uh, just two campaigns trying to fight it out uh, the court at the, at the kind of judicial level. So uh, why, why does this feel different than just, you know, two campaigns, one trying to keep one of the others off the, off the ballot? Well, I mean, because mainly because the people who brought the lawsuit are not an opposing campaign, right? I mean, they're, uh, you know, ostensibly a group of voters who are just concerned, but they're they're funded by, um, <clears throat> excuse me, some left wing ideologically driven groups. And they instead of saying, you know, something like, you know, how do campaigns typically try and keep other opponents off the ballot? Well, you didn't get your petitions in on time or you engaged in fraud in gathering your petitions or, um, you know, there's some technical problem with your application to be on the ballot, right? Well, all of those sorts of questions are really simple, right? Did you commit fraud on your petitions or didn't you, right? Did you submit them by the deadline or didn't you? Did you comply with the technical requirements to get on the ballot or didn't you, right? There's really no moral component to it. And our election code, the summary procedures under our election code are really good for answering those types of very basic, simple questions very, very quickly, okay? Whether or not what happened on January 6th was an insurrection, right? And whether or not Donald Trump participated in an insurrection, if there is one, and whether or not the Article 3 of the 14th Amendment bars somebody who held the office of the President of the United States, right, from holding future office, um, because of their assistance of an insurrection, if it occurred, those are huge questions. And the summary procedures under our election codes just aren't made to give courts the kind of time that they would need to resolve those in a way that the public could have confidence in. And so I think the biggest reason why this feels different is because this isn't the typical kind of case saying, hey, sorry, your petitions weren't signed properly. This is saying, um, actually, your entire movement, you and the movement that you represent, right, uh, should be exiled from uh, polite society. And we're going to see that they that you are by having the Constitution interpreted against you in a way that it's never been interpreted before. I uh, read a book recently on kind of how revolutions take place. They looked at revolutions throughout you know countries in history and and what led to them. And, and their basic argument is that if you don't have a pressure release valve, things tend to get very, very bad. And what has been good for America is that you have pressure release valves. If if you don't like the direction of our country, we can re-elect different or we can elect different people. If you don't like uh, if something's not right happening uh, among the elections, the judiciary will step in to kind of uh, fix the problem. And so you have different pressure release valves that keep a society from boiling over. When it comes to this issue, if you feel frustrated about the kind of pressure, as you mentioned, that's being put on the judiciary as, as a result of these types of cases, the use of lawfare, I'm just thinking the average grassroots conservative, they look at this situation, they go, 
well, I want to do something. At the end of the day, the doing of something comes down to the changing of the leadership of our community, right? That's You have to be active and involved in shaping the direction of your community. And so, um, you know, this time it may be Donald Trump, um, but but you can still change things. If you, you know the 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 makeup of the Colorado Supreme Court, if, from what I understand, is based on uh, appointments from the governor, right? Right. Um, so you got to change the governor if you don't like that. If you you know if you don't like the the problems that our state's going going back to wolf issues that came out this week as well. Yeah, it it, it, it requires community engagement. Is that where the pressure release valve on this situation is? You need to change the direction of the leadership of the state. I mean, so yes. I mean, I'll say there's one other thing too, is that in Colorado, uh, Supreme Court justices are appointed, but um, every 10 years, they're also up for retention, right? They have to be retained by the voters. So you can vote against a justice when they come up for retention. Um, that's the, you know, that's that's another one. But look, like, Jeff, let's be honest, okay? I mean, uh, the the leadership of Colorado, right, and the justices that we have on our Supreme Court uh, reflect the results of gubernatorial elections for the last 20 years, right? That's right. Um, I mean, and gubernatorial elections that have not been particularly close, with, with one exception in 2014, it was kind of close, right? But Colorado has trended from being a, I would call it sort of a, uh, more of a libertarian, right, center-right state, um, to being a more progressive center-left to progressive-left state. And, you know, that has happened relatively quickly. And I think there's a lot of folks who've been in Colorado for a long time um, who, you know, are like, they feel like they're waking up in a different state. Well, they are waking up in a different state because the population of the state has changed so dramatically over the last 20 years. Um, and the only way, you know, if you want to change who's on the Supreme Court, you have to work to elect different governors because they're the people who get to decide who's on the Supreme Court. Chris, we appreciate you so much being on the front lines of this battle for the civil rights of, of really all Coloradans. This is not a conservative or liberal issue at all. This is how our republic functions and who gets on the ballot and how we determine those issues. So uh, I know you'll continue to be on the front lines of this. I appreciate your fight for this. And uh, thanks for joining us on the show today. And it's been my pleasure, Jeff. And I'll just leave you with uh, other than a Merry Christmas, I'll leave you with a thought to say, you know, to your listeners, um, you know, take heart. I'll say for now, uh, I think it is highly, highly, highly unlikely that the U.S. Supreme Court lets this stand. So I think we are all going to have the opportunity to vote for our chosen candidate, both in the primary and in the general election. Great closing words. Thanks again, Chris.